We are starting a new series today, uh, simply called Our Path. You've heard this word path a lot if you've been around Sanctuary for even just a couple weeks. This is simply our understanding. We talk about we're a family following the path of Jesus, following the way of Jesus. Uh, the first followers of Jesus were known as literally the way or people of the way, people of the path. In other words, there is a specific and particular way that they moved in and through the world. And so I want to... Um, I want to get into this during this season of Lent, and I'm going to explain why. This, think of today's message as sort of an intro to where we're going to be going for the rest of our time. Um, I, uh, I heard a, a friend of mine say um, that for uh, in the restaurant world right now, survival is the new success. Anyone mourning the loss of the Grange? Anyone? I mean, so you didn't even know that. You're like, what? We're going to have a whole service of lament for the Grange actually tomorrow here. Um, there's been a lot of restaurants and cafes that have, have not made it through this wild couple of years. Survival is the new success. In James 1, uh, we read, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If our goal this past season was uh, sort of like basic, to pursue like basic happiness, if the goal of our life recently or since you were born was simply some base level, surface level of happiness. This last year has been incredibly challenging for you. But if your goal was to become more like Jesus, then actually this last year was the chance of a lifetime. I'm an eternal optimist. So for those of you rolling your eyes, but it's true. Perseverance, the testing of our faith, real growth comes only in moments of heartache. Any of you who have been through the fire, who've come out of brokenness, come out of recovery, been in the trenches of sin and seen God pull you out, anyone who has ever lost a loved one, anyone who's ever been through a painful separation or breakup or just a deconstruction of a relationship, you know the power both to cripple you or to refine you. Perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you might be mature. Many people don't let perseverance finish its work. That's not gonna happen in our church. Amen? We're gonna let perseverance finish its work. And so today, I just wanna dream a little with you as we set the stage for this series and for the new year. I feel like perpetually every month, it feels like it's like another vision series, another vision series. I'm gonna keep going. Right? We want to dream about who we want to become as a family, not just as individuals, but as a group and dream beyond the normal for us, beyond the normal for the church in the West. Almost immediately, like three, four weeks after the pandemic hit two years ago, we did a series called The New Normal. All right, so when we all go back, how are we going to leave? Like, where are we going to re-enter changed? I had that sermon series done like two years prematurely. Obviously, none of us knowing how long this was going to be. But it feels, it does, I say it feels right now, it's going to be another two years. But there is something different, right, about what's happening. Mass mandates being lifted. People beginning to figure out their rhythms again in a post-COVID world. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Haggai. 
didn't see that coming, did you? Anyone remember, anyone grew up in like Christian camp or youth group? Remember sword drills? How fast you could pull out a verse? Ready, go. Who's got high guy? Raise your hand. How many of you are just waiting for it to come on the screen? <laughs> Haggai, this book was written in the year 520 BC, nearly 70 years after the exile of the Hebrew people. The Babylonian empire has recently collapsed. The world is now ruled at this point by the Persians. Um, they allowed the return of any exiled Israelites, these Hebrew people, the people are God's people that Sarah talked about that were marked the story of the Old Testament. Anybody who wanted to go back to Jerusalem could, but Jerusalem laid in ruins. So this new empire, they're still in a sort of exile, but out of Babylonian exile, and they're welcome to come home. So under the leadership of a high priest named Joshua and Zerubbabel, um, there's a group of exiles that returned and began to rebuild the city and rebuild their lives. Sounds familiar. And so their hopes are very high and the future seems very, very bright. But at least according to Haggai, we read it, it's actually not actually going the way it needs to. This book consists of these like sections that basically summarize Haggai's um, critique and prophetic call to these people. And he opens up the book by accusing the people of misplaced priorities. So they've come back to Jerusalem, but they are spending all of their time and all of their resources rebuilding their own bougie houses, as bougie as one can get in crippled Jerusalem at this time. While the temple... Remember at this point, this is the place where we experience God, where God is mediated. This was like the, the, the building and physical place that God gave to these people. Like this is what I will inhabit. Meeting these people where they were at, understanding that ultimately we know God does not reside in a home or in a temple or in a church, but this was the gift and the place in which God ultimately resided for them. So instead of, in other words, putting their effort and energy on rebuilding the house of God, they spent their time on their own selves. The temple lay in ruin. And so Haggai asks, basically, are your own houses, are your own goods, is your own well-being, we could extrapolate, right? I could start preaching here. On your, is your own self-care really more important than your allegiance to God? And in Haggai 1.5, we read this. This was the verse that captured my imagination. Give careful thought to your way. Give careful thought to your way. So how do we do that? This is the, the, the bell that rings throughout the book of Haggai. We're not gonna take time right now to go through the rest of that story. But in a moment of rebuilding, their emphasis went to their own specific luxuries instead of to the house of God and to the communal well-being of walking faithfully with God. So how do we do this? So first off, we have to give careful thought to how we are being formed and who we are becoming. We have to be people in this moment, church, how we are being shaped. Formation is not a Christian thing. It's not a religious thing. Formation is a human thing. We're all being formed. We're all becoming a person. We are all trending or indexing in a certain direction. 
and all of Christian formation, in other words, all of like becoming more like Christ, that's all I mean by formation, is counterformation. We are already formed and being formed by the world around us. We have already been deformed in some obvious ways and in some subtle ways. You're not neutral. There are patterns and ways of thinking that you have picked up. And just because you're a follower of Jesus and proclaim Jesus as Lord and want to walk in his way does not mean that you are unaware or impervious to the formation machine that is the internet, that is social media, that is Providence, Rhode Island. We're all trending in a direction whether we want to or not. None of us are standing still. I was reading that in the Northeast, um, someone did a study on this. I love like, where did this fact come from? Someone literally studied this. People walk faster in the Northeast than they do in any other part of the country. And so when tourists come to a city like Boston or a city like Providence or a city like, I assume, New York, you all of a sudden will find yourself walking at a faster and faster and faster pace. You could just look at the analogy of like, we're all standing still. It all appears as though most of us are still, but we're actually on a rock hurtling through space at insane speeds. I say this, that if you think that your pace of walking subtly changes without you knowing it, as an outsider to the Northeast when you come here, what else do you think might be changing? What else just in the air that we breathe and the things that we take in? Your sense of self, your values, who your enemy and enemies are. We're dominated by ideologies that are at odds with the way of love shown to us in Jesus. We are enculturated so easily. That, that famous passage in Romans 12, right? Don't be conformed to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's like one of the most preached on passages. I always like to imagine, right? This was literally written to a house church or a, or a group of house churches in Rome. And so I imagine walking through the streets of Rome, walking by like slogans for Pax Romana, which was like the political slogan of, of like peace that was peace by way of war not unlike you know, our national mantras now, walking by the Colosseum, walking by theaters where pagan narratives are being told, walking by brothels, walking by essentially the billboards of the day. And then you walk into your house church and you're sitting there and someone stands up and they're like, hey, we got a letter from, from Paul. Paul was the one who planted this church. And everyone's like, Paul, Paul, we got a letter from Paul. We got a, this is gonna be sick. Someone stands up and begins to read it, right? They don't have a copy of it, no screen. They just begin to listen. What does Paul want to tell us? And then Paul says, hey, hey, that walk that you just took here, don't be conformed to all of these patterns and rhythms. It's like this invitation to be aware of the fact that these are conforming you. Don't be conformed. Don't be conformed, but be what? Transformed. There are all these ideas. Dallas Willard said, ideas are assumptions about reality. Like reality is just is. We may not know it or understand it. Truth, reality just is. Ideas are assumptions about reality. And often our worldview is just a bunch of unchecked, uninterrogated assumptions. 
And we have to be aware of the fact that we carry around all these ideas about what is good and what is bad and what is truth and what is not and what is the best way to live. And oftentimes we're not even intentional enough to process them. They just kind of bake themselves into our way of being. And we don't realize how we are being formed. And so during the season of Lent, we want to map out and mark out a way that we are gonna move in the world that's built on our four directions, our four values, the way that we think of walking the way of Jesus. We keep joking, we need to create a song for these. Like it's upwards, inwards, outwards, withwards, like a YMCA kind of thing. Upwards is to be with Jesus. This is how we talk about this in our community. We believe that having a deep and connected relationship with God is the best possible way to live. So this is how, in other words, we want to be formed in the wake of all of these counter-formative places and voices in our world. We celebrate the divine in the daily, not diving, divine in the daily, pursuing lives of hope and gratitude and worship. We believe worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. It is the quickening of the conscience by his holiness. It's the nourishment of mind with his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose. All of this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable. We want to move in this direction and attach some practices to this because we live in a moment where the digital revolution is crushing us. We're distracted constantly. One writer says, we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. Oof. It is causing so much tribalism, diving headlong into conspiracies, cancel culture, truth decay. There's so much outrage. We're so scared and we're so mad and we're so tribal. And so how do we become, become peacemakers in a moment of outrage when we're being just sucked in to couch potato advocacy and virtue signaling. We want to journey upwards because in a time where moral relativism is louder than ever before, I mean, it's always been there, but louder than ever. Pursuing holiness in an era of moral relativism, right? Be true to yourself as long as it doesn't harm anyone is the mantra. Anyone who has thought critically for 10 seconds about that statement knows that one, it's definitely the mantra of our era, and two, it is completely incoherent. It's not possible because it depends on an agreed upon vision of what's right and wrong and what's good and not and what's a lie and what's truth. And because you're not allowed to agree to disagree in the public square in the same way we used to be able to, because pharisaicalism has moved its way <clears throat> into the secular sphere, we, we can't operate that way. And so we need to move upward to be with Jesus and be shaped by him and be shaped by his truth and grow in our understanding of the scriptures. One of our practices as a rule of life will simply be to be in the scriptures, which you may be like, that's super obvious, of course. No, 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 but like to be a part of this church has as much to do with things you might agree on on a doctrinalist as it does of like you're committing that before you grab your phone, or before you hit the bed, depending on your sleep preference, you are in the word and we are in the word together and we are in unity in that. 
We'll get into that again, week two. The inward direction, being like, becoming like Jesus. We believe that God wants to bring about a new humanity by redeeming every part of us. We embrace the salvation that Jesus offers as the only hope for the healing of our relationships with God, with each other, with ourselves, and with all of creation. We believe that all of life is spiritual, that all of our fears and failures and brokenness can be restored and made whole. We value the inner journey because we want to be fully integrated people, mind, body, soul, emotions, experiences, all offered together to God. This leads us to follow Jesus in the way that he invested in the relationships around him. Why are we doing this, man? Because counterformation is like, the way we are being counterformed is into such exhaustion. We're tired. People move back and forth between outrage, right? And just numbing out. The ancients in the Christian tradition called this acedia. It's basically a mild burnout or mild depression. It's like a listlessness or a lack of spiritual zeal or a lack of spiritual energy. Pew, right? The mindless scrolling late into the night. Many of us are too tired to live well. Right? It's okay to admit that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I need to live better. I need to be more focused. I need to be, I'm just too tired to live well. Let's like feel that in our bones before we resolve to change that. How do we keep our souls alive and full of life? How do we do that? We journey inward and we develop spiritual practices. So we're gonna name two of them that are gonna go on our communal way of being together. One of them being Sabbath. I'm so excited about this because it's like Sabbath is like an optional thing. We'll commit to commit to our church. You can come to our church, be a part of our church and not Sabbath, without a doubt. You can mess it up all the time, that's fine. But to be like a partner and a leader in our church will be to agree to a rule of life where you say, I am, I am, I'm gonna live like these people. And I'm gonna Sabbath with them. Just a, just a sense again of where we're going. Some of you are like, I'm out. That's okay. We want to establish here, if I can pause, how we roll. That's my favorite phrase. How do you roll? How do we roll? It's a little outdated, I know. I'm getting old. But I say this to my kids all the time. It's my favorite discipline-like moment is this, this phrase. When they act out of step, I'm like, hey, that's not who we are. This isn't how we, oh, in our family, we roll, we, we are kind. We don't talk to our sisters that way. Yeah, it's not how we roll in the Mook family. It's not how we roll in the way of Jesus. We lean into kindness. I digress. Outward. Because we're being formed to be so focused in on our individual selves, we need to journey and do what Jesus did. We believe that Jesus is God in human form and the church is God's ongoing presence in the world, led by the spirit of God. We're passionate about relieving suffering, fighting injustice, joining the God of the oppressed and living out the transforming message of the resurrected Jesus. Jesus calls his church to be a compelling force of good in the world. And we believe that the church is at its best when it serves, amen? when it sacrifices, amen? And when it loves caring about the things that God cares about, we were created to live for something larger than ourselves. We need to combat careerism. The haves and the have nots, man, that divide is growing bigger and bigger and bigger. No matter how woke we get, the divide's getting bigger. The champagne socialists of Boston and San Francisco are not closing the gap. 
We have to, as people who are followers of Jesus, realize that we are bound to one another in love and in grace and in generosity. We have to. Injustice. The secular vision and the biblical vision of justice are different. There's a lot of crossover. And the secular vision of justice is deeply informed by the biblical vision. That's where it comes from. But it wants, right, as we've said many times, the kingdom, everything made right without the king, without guardrails. History is full. Here's why I say that. History is full of cautionary tales of people who become the very thing that they're fighting against. We can't do that because we're followers of Jesus. And we will not roll that way in our church. So how do we pursue justice without the oppressed becoming the oppressor? How do we move in forgiveness and true reconciliation, not some sort of punitive justice? All right, just weeding everybody out. You guys can start. Kidding. Withward, following Jesus together. We are called to journey as one body, we value the image of God in all people everywhere. We believe that we were created to live deeply with one another, carrying each other's burdens, sharing our possessions, to pray for and confess our sins to each other, to suffer like we did today and to celebrate together. It's in these honest moments, loving relationships that God transforms us and truth becomes reality because truth can't just live in your head. It has to be embodied. The way of Jesus cannot be lived alone. We want to make sure that we have practices that line up with our withward direction because individualism is counterforming us. Let's take sex, for example. Sex is about getting your needs met or sex in the Bible is such a different, different paradigm. We're going to talk about that. We ache for loving relationships with family, but we're being formed by this individualism where everything is about me. Intimacy only resides in the safety of commitment. It's hard to be intimate, truly intimate, and experiencing that loving, generous, open, risky love when you are holed up and quarantined off from the rest of the world. And I mean that more metaphorically than anything else. You want... I could not find who said this quote, so if you can find this. You can't, it was like buried in my notes. You can't have autonomy, or sorry, you can have autonomy or you can have intimacy, but you have to pick. You can be by yourself, that's okay. And pursue that and be be infected, I'm gonna use that word, by radical individualism. Or you can lean into community. And you can have actual intimacy, but you can't have autonomy and intimacy. How can we live together as brothers and sisters when everything is pushing away from each other? This is what's happened with Sunday, by the way. I don't think a bunch of folks didn't come back on Sunday mornings simply because they like have all, everyone's deconstructed their faith and doesn't really care about church anymore. I think that's probably some. I think there's some that rightfully so are like immunocompromised and aren't ready to like step back into that space and are dealing with some of the fear in the moment. And we're like generous and grace-filled about that for sure. But I think for a lot of people, we just got out of the habit. Habits deeply form us. And we just got out of the rhythm. When you get out of a rhythm of something, it's hard to step back in. And when it's a little rainy and it's like 9.15 and the kids are screaming or you're just, you woke up late. It's, ah, next time. One other thing about with a withward position, one other thing we're pushing against is that political polarization the extremes have intimidated the center 
And many have just talked about how like we're in a moment where arguably we're more divided than we've ever been. And there's all sorts of think pieces about not since the civil war has our nation been this split. Uh, some of you have read this letter, Barry Weiss in her open letter to the New York Times. She wrote, this is, this is a, a, a woman of color in that writer at the New York Times who was essentially kind of felt like she had to step down because she was being pushed and bullied for trying to represent multiple sides of, of various debates. She wrote, being a centrist should not, being a centrist should not require bravery. It feels like for us, we're not trying to be centrists here, but our allegiance to the multi-ethnic, multicultural kingdom of God around the world is going to be difficult because it's going to be a third way that does not map onto left and to right. Anyway, we have to name these things. The bummer part of the sermon is over. You ready? Transition. The church outside of the West is literally exploding around the world. In Iran right now, many are positing that this is the fastest growing church movement we have ever seen, even more than the house church movement in China. Now we're not in Iran, we're not under that sort of um, persecution where it's illegal to proselytize and illegal to hold gatherings. But disaster seems to be good for people. There's so much possibility in our cultural moment here. How could this moment in our church catalyze the best of the church? And to do that, I want to humbly submit to you, we need a plan. We need a plan, and that plan is what the ancient Christians have called a rule of life. A common rule. A way that we, even with all, you know, a rule that is like wide enough that um, it, uh, it, it engages every personality type and different rhythms of people's life and all of that, different socioeconomics places and all of that. But a general rule of this is how we roll together. This is critical for the future of the church to get clarity on how we are bound together in the way that we live. Alan Kreider says this, in the first two centuries of the church, it was not Christian worship that attracted outsiders. It was Christians who attracted them and outsiders found the Christians attractive because of their Christian habitus, which is like their formation, their plan, the way they rolled together, which catechesis and worship had formed. In other words, their gatherings were critical to form them and to align them in the way then that they were going to scatter. We gather so that we can scatter and engage in the world well. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, the renewal of the church will come from a new type of monasticism, like a new type of like paying attention to who we are, which has only in common with the old and uncompromising allegiance to the Sermon on the Mount. It is high time men and women banded together to do this. By that, he simply means the Sermon on the Mount, like the way that we roll, the way that we are to be in the world. We band together by having a rule of life. So really quickly, a rule of life, and we're gonna dive into this like big time next week, but is a set of practices to guard our habits and guide our lives. So Andy Crouch said this, a set of practices to guard our habits and to guide our lives. It comes from in John 15, where Jesus says, abide in me, abide in me. This is what you're supposed to do, to, to lean on me, to be with me, to stay with me. 
And then he uses the analogy of a vine. And so the ancient Christians, they picked up on this analogy of a vine. He's the vine, we're the branches. And the, the, the best vines are the ones that are trimmed, are the ones that are cared for. Because if they're not, if you've ever seen a wild rose bush, it just turns in on itself and quenches out and doesn't produce, produces a lot of roses, but they're, they're all ugly and jammed in and it cannot flourish. This is how grapes and wine growers grow. There's a trellis. They don't just let the grapes run. There's something for them, scaffolding. There's a plan and a way that allow them the vines to grow. A rule of life creates space and time for us to journey upward, to be with Jesus, inward, to become like him, outward, to do what he did, and withward, to do it together. Creating space and time. Not, again, because we're trying to earn something, but because we know where the life is and because we value the way of Jesus above all else. I love this phrase, the value of the possession is seen in the intensity, or you could say the purpose of the pursuit. You can't grow in any relationship without time and without intentionality. Your marriage, your friendships, they can't blossom without intentionality and a plan. Show me on the calendar how much your friendships and how much the way of Jesus matters to you. Show me in the time that you spend together how much your spouse matters to you. If we don't give ourselves over, right, to gathering together in regular rhythms and don't give ourselves to this, we will falter in our walk. We need a support structure to guide and to guard our lives for us to abide in the vine, to be with Jesus. This is what it is to be a Christian, is to become like Christ. This is our one and only goal. Amen? We need to get a vision of that. My primary purpose of everything, every little piece of my life is to become more like Jesus, to be with him and to become like him and to do what he did and do it together, to be, have Jesus, it says in the scriptures over and over, to allow Christ to be formed in you. That is your primary goal. And how much you value that will be seen in the intention and intensity of the game plan. So this Lent, we're gonna lay out version 1.0, how we follow Jesus together to mark out how we roll, to say this is what it means to be part of sanctuary. A doctrinal statement cannot be the only thing that binds us together. Some stuff that we believe about our church cannot be the only thing that binds us together. A shared path has to be at the center. I always, not always, I regularly ask people when they sit me down and ask me about what our church believes, I always try to pause and go, you haven't asked me anything about how we actually live how we care for the poor or don't, how we're leaning into becoming more like Jesus in this way or that way or the other. So we need a pathway, a rule of life. Could you put this next slide up, Adam? We need a, oh, sorry, next one. <laughs> we need a pathway. We need a rule of life because the rhythm of our lives, what we do, form the desires of our hearts what we want, which shape the direction of our lives, who we are becoming. I'm gonna read that again. This is gonna be our like opening statement every sermon for the next six weeks. The rhythm of our lives, what we do, form the desires of our hearts, which are what we want, which shape the directions of our lives, who we are becoming. We see this again and again in the Bible and throughout church history. And so this Lent, we wanna talk about these shared practices that we're gonna agree to then on Easter Sunday and Mark. I'm gonna share these up in and out practices. 
And so before we do this, there's a couple things we need to make sure we have in order. One, we need a radical commitment to the gospel, which is right, the announcement that Jesus is Lord. That has to capture our imagination. He is the most important one. I have this little prayer I do with my kids where I say, all right, guys, who is king and queen of the bed? Blanco. Blanco's a sweet blanket that has like a sheep head to it. Who is the king and queen of the Anastuffies? Bunny and cow. They say bunny and cow. Who is the king and queen of this house? Mommy and mommy. No, mommy and daddy. Who is the king above all the other kings? Jesus. I was right on cue. Well done. (laughs) I felt that in my bones. Jesus. I'm trying to give my kids... I want them to have an imagination as like rote as that thing might become in their life. I want their imagination, like everything that's good and true and beautiful falls underneath Jesus. The king above every other king, the love above every other love is Jesus. And so we have to give up these foolish attempts to be a conservative Christian or a progressive Christian or an American Christian or any other adjective before the word Christian that is an attempt to mix the world with the way of Jesus. We need a fresh wave of surrender to Jesus as Lord. And it's time for the church, time for our church to come back to its first love. And when we do this, when we do this as a church, we will find all of the zeal and all of the joy and all of the resolve we need to commit to a rule of life. When he's center, I mean, it will just move us to commit to the path of Jesus. That the, the way that we want to embody that in our time. Because as Bonhoeffer said, when he took um, a friend of his out to see the Nazi camp that was opposite where he was building this humble, very intense seminary, like training facility for Christians. His friend is like, why are you being so intense, intense Dietrich? Bonnie, Bonnie, why are you being so intense? And Dietrich takes him in a rowboat, rolls him out to this uh, hilltop, takes him up on the hill, and he points to the Nazi camp. And he says, honestly, because this, this Christian seminary, this training ground for followers of Jesus, this has to be stronger than that. And so our practices that line up with this upward, inward, outward, withward, these practices need to form us that we would allow the power and beauty and authority of Jesus to be what it is, which is stronger than that. That our formation is stronger than that. And let me encourage you with this. We're not the only church noticing this. This wasn't like cooked up like, I don't know, in a cabin, Andrew's sitting by himself. I've, I've been traveling with this cohort the last six months with other churches and cities just like ours, New York City, Portland, San Francisco, Boston, where there are churches that are literally doing this exact thing, some of them even this month. There is something brewing in the church. And we're walking together with many others who are saying this, this is a moment. This is a moment because how, like Andy Dillard says, how we spend our days is of course how we spend our lives. How you spend moment by moment is how you spend your life. Haggai 
ends with the choice of a bright future for the Hebrew people just sort of hanging there. What will happen? And so the question of the book of Haggai, his question to these people is, um, will, will they be faithful to God? Will they experience the fulfillment of his promises? This little book contains this great challenge to every generation of God's people that our choices actually matter and that our faithfulness and obedience of God's people is part of how God has chosen to work in the world. Give careful thought to your way. That's what we wanna do together. Not just you, the individual, though there'll be an invitation to do that, especially in your home churches this week. But for us together, let's give careful thought to our ways. Annie Diller goes on. She says, what we do with this hour and that one is what we are doing. (laughs) A schedule, let's just insert rule of life there, defends from chaos and whim. It is a net for catching days. It is scaffolding on which a worker can stand and labor with both hands at sections of time. A schedule, a plan, a rule of life is a mock-up of reason and order, willed, faked, and so brought into being. It is a peace and a haven set into the wreck of time. It is a lifeboat on which you find yourself decades later still living. Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life to the full. And this my friends, is what we want to do together. I invite the band up as we close. You've heard me say this before. God alone, God alone makes the river flow. But a shared rule, a way of life, this helps us wade into the water. God alone makes the wind blow. but a community bound together, walking the way of Jesus together. This will help us open the window. These practices will help us open the window to feel the wind against our face. And so my invitation to us, my invitation for the altar today, the altar we wanna open up, is that any of you who need to recommit to Jesus being Lord in your life, And in some sense, this should and can be all of us. But there's just a sense that I have, um, I have that acedia, Andrew. I have that like numbness. I've been focusing on everything but Jesus. I I need, I need to regroup and recommit in this moment. I will say, if I were down here with you, I would be coming back. Not because I feel like I've, I've like walked away from Jesus in any way, but there are just places in my life that I recognize that I need to claim Jesus Lord over again. And so let this just be a moment of beautiful, grace-filled surrender, of a joyous letting go of going, I'm not gonna hold this anymore and I'm ready to receive as a part of this family how we're gonna move in the world together. I want to commit again 
to keeping Jesus front and center. I want him to capture my imagination. Maybe there's some specific things I need to name and let go of today. And so we want to, as we're gonna sing in a moment, make room for God to move in us. This will be our prayer. We wanna make room for you to do whatever you want to. Break down the walls of my unholy ambition. Break down the walls of of, of the, the, the forces that have come in and are, I can tell are shaping me into the person I'm not created to be. Break these down. I surrender to you, Lord. So would you stand with me? Would you stand for the reading of the word?